I'm Lance Key, co-host of Get Inspired and Innovate, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Dr. Lynn Kep, who's the Vice President of Executive Communications and Project Management Office at AVID, which stands for Advancement via Individual Determination. Today we're talking about AVID, supporting teachers and helping accelerate kids to academic success. So much to learn today. Thanks for listening. And by the way, don't forget, it would be so awesome if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. The holidays are on their way and they can be a particularly stressful time of year if you don't have a plan. Well, have I got a solution for you. Join my friend Lynn with ConnectFlow Grow in her launch of Stress Less Holidays. Through this live Zoom webinar, Lynn will teach you how to evaluate your stress and develop a plan to reduce it. This is an abbreviated version of her 21-day Stress Less Challenge to give you the best tools in the shortest time frame. A less stress holiday is priceless. Your investment of $17 per person or $2,500 flat rate per organization is the first step towards taking control of holiday stress. Learn more about Stress Less Holidays and join by going to my website, stephenmaletto.com sponsors, Click on the ConnectFlow Grow logo and the link will take you to where you can find out more information and sign up. Time for you to stress less during the holidays. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com, slash sponsors, find the NVTA logo, and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. <laughs> You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dr. Lynn Kep is the Vice President of Executive Communications and Project Management Office at AVID, Advancement via Individual Determination, a nonprofit supporting more than 75,000 teachers per year in more than 7,500 school districts across the nation. For over 40 years, AVID has dedicated itself to closing the opportunity gap and serving schools and districts by helping educators 
shift to a more equitable, student-centered approach. Lynn spent the first decade of her career as a high school science teacher and district mentor and has dedicated her career since to supporting educators and students through education-led nonprofits. She has a doctorate in education from UC Riverside with a research focus on teacher development and has a master's in science education from Cal State Fullerton. Lynn, awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here. And uh, before we talk about AVID, let's talk about you. When you were a classroom teacher, you taught science. What did you like most about working with kids? I loved working with kids for a variety of different reasons. I loved the energy, the enthusiasm, and really, particularly teaching science in high school, helping students become excited and find that they had a connection with science, even though they thought they might not have liked science before. Um, I really thought about teaching kids and not science, and I love the relationships and the fun. Uh, I never had a job where I worked so hard, but never had so much fun at the same time. So I absolutely loved it and loved it when you saw that spark of learning be lit for students. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's there's nothing better. And you never know when it's going to happen. <laughs> very true. So got to ask you, so were you the science teacher with the critters and things like this? Or were you the science, or were you the science teacher with the, the theoretical stuff, math, math, that's a lot of math? A great, great question. So I actually was, um, my background is in biology and biological science. So with the critters, but I started out my teaching career teaching physical science because when I started teaching, there were a lot of people with biology degrees and there weren't very many people to teach physical science. So I actually taught out of field and even I've been teaching for so long that I even had a remedial physical science class, which at the time when I was hired, I didn't even really know what that meant. I, I quickly learned. Um, so I start, started with physical science. I taught biology and then developed a new program in our district called Integrated Science, which was a mix of physical science, uh, biology and earth science. So taught it all. Very cool. Very cool. And just as a note, I always just kind of have flashbacks to uh, the the zoology, you know, the I had I went to a, a school setting in Florida where in tenth grade you had zoology and the, oh, you wow. you didn't have to take zoology, but you, you chose it if you were in a certain in the college path, I guess is the right way to say it, and in that in that setting, and so that was the dissection class, and uh, you know, because in those days I don't know about today, but in those days everything had a certain smell to it, an odor, and you yes. and that was an odor that you smelled forever and. And uh, <laughs> it's like, anyway, there's flashbacks yeah, to those days. I remember days. <laughs> that very well as being a science teacher in the Los Angeles area and doing dissections in a classroom with no air conditioning and having to store uh, specimens day after day. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a smell you kind of never forget. <laughs> never do. And I, as, as, as a teacher, I can only imagine what that's like because it yeah. just becomes something you probably just deal with as a yeah. Kid, it's always stuck there. The, uh, um, it, well, thanks for going down that path. Sorry, that's not no what we're here to talk about. You know, as a sci high school science teacher, what type of support would have helped you the most in addressing the academic needs of the kids? Well, as I mentioned, you know, I started off teaching physical science and remedial science, and my school where I taught had a high percentage of English language learners, and it was a population of students that I had never really. Uh, worked with in the past. I student taught in a somewhat semi-rural community outside of Riverside, California. And I was, my teaching career was in Mapuente, California with a high level of Latin, Latinx students. 
And so um, I was not in really informed about working with English language learners, culturally relevant pedagogy, uh, as well as I really didn't know how to teach students academic routines. I would say things like study for my test, take my notes. And then I would expect magically that students would know how to have the skills and knowledge and understand what that meant and what they were supposed to do with it. I also, as a teacher in biology, struggled with, you know, academic literacy and science. There's so many, it's learning another language. And so I could have used more supports in terms, over time, I, you know, I learned and received those supports as I continue my education and work with different people. But um, as I look back on it, you know, your first few years, you're like, wow, um, there could have been a lot more. And, and and just really helping students learn how to learn. I didn't really have that foundation. Gotcha. And that's, you know, and that's in a lot of areas. I know those are areas that uh, as a classroom teacher, I think when you, when you focus on becoming a teacher, one of the things you don't realize is how much you're going to need because the kids are so different in different levels and, right. and things like that. And that can be so important to, to learning all of that. And like you're talking about as a high school principal, I learned something because I'm a former history, high school right. history teacher. And I learned a lot when I became an administrator about how yeah, like ninth and tenth, especially ninth grade science, like really totally wiped out kids because they come in and they can't fake the language, the academic language. Yes, that's for sure. So wild stuff. I appreciate you talking about that. You know, Lynn, you're now the vice president of executive communications and project management office at AVID, which stands for Advancement via Individual Determination. What's your primary focus? I mean, what do you do? Well, my primary focus is I really work to ensure that our organizational projects, so my project management office oversees a range of projects to help us implement and deliver on our strategic plan. And in my communications role, I really am focused on making sure that the project management and all of our work is aligned to help us achieve our mission of closing the opportunity gap to prepare students to be college ready for global society. I mean, that's kind of what I do at a large scale, both projects all across the organization and in our communications and just sharing the potential power of what can happen to help students close the opportunity gap. So that's a kind of in a nutshell what I do. Long, long way from uh, science teaching uh, to doing that, but I've had a lot of experiences in between uh, working for different education nonprofits that and ended me up where I am today. Very cool. And, 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 and I mean, you know, part of what AVID does is support uh, teachers in learning how to work with the kids. So yes. good, good stuff. So it's just a nice progression. Awesome. I, I, so let's switch and talk about AVID. And, and on the AVID website, this is noted. Teachers are inherently passionate about education. AVID helps teachers shift from delivering content to facilitating learning, resulting in an inquiry-based, student-centric classroom. These elements are at the core of our approach to closing, closing the opportunity gap. Let's talk about AVID through this statement. Talk a little bit about what AVID does. Sure, so what AVID really does is we provide professional development, pedagogical resources, and systems that support educators and K-12 leaders across the U.S. And what we're trying to do is to help schools shift to a more equitable, student-centered approach. So what that means is through our professional learning resources and systems, we actually try to help the educators and the system help students be ready for college and career. And we have a framework, our uh, 
common college and career readiness framework that we work with systems to really think about how we how we do that. How do we make that shift? Because it can't just be the educator. It needs to think about the system, the system leaders, and how do we all work together um, and, and going all the way down to what specific strategies and pedagogical moves and resources should the teacher be using in the classroom to help empower the students. Very cool. Very cool. And it, and it, and what I want to use this comment for is to kind of drive us into, you know, the idea that what happens is that a partnerships developed uh, between the school or school system and AVID. And uh, to get started, could you talk about how this relationship gets started? I mean, how did how do you start working with AVID? And then we're going to get into some specific things you work on. Sure. So typically we meet school district leaders or educators who have sometimes identified opportunity gaps or sometimes they're facing particular challenges with with certain groups of students or their culture or their climate they're just not feeling that their their school is um, living up to their potential potentially excuse me uh, for meeting all their students needs and so we oftentimes meet with a district or a site leader and we discuss their goals their data looking at are there gaps are there opportunities where some students might be underserved by their systems or structure or their culture? And so schools may also want to shift to a more student-centered approach for learning. So any one of those identified needs typically brings people to come to learn about us. We have showcases, both virtual and person, where educators can go and visit avid schools, get a feel for it, learn about it, see what it is. So oftentimes there's an interest, you know, a, problem people are trying to solve, not necessarily a problem, but wanting to get better and grow and improve. And then we begin to have discussions about their specific needs and, and what might work to be able to help them to address those needs to support their students. That's awesome. And what I want to do is use that uh, that step there to, uh, um, to, to kind of just do the progression, because once that connection is made, mm -hmm. I mean, what happens? Well, then what happens is we typically meet with the site leader and district leader and we talk about the college and career readiness framework and thinking about the four pillars of the system from instruction, leadership, culture and systems at the school. And then we talk about plans for professional learning, which is typically where we start thinking about what are those needs? What how do we help those educators? plan for what students need to be successful around rigorous academic preparation, opportunity knowledge and student agency. And then what do educators need to do? Things like insisting on rigor, breaking down barriers so that students are able to achieve, uh, aligning the work across the school and with frameworks and then advocating for students. So we talk about this framework with the district and the school leaders we begin to think about professional learning and in many cases, places implement an AVID elective, which supports a group of students, but a whole site team comes for professional learning. And then oftentimes we have AVID school-wide, which means that all educators are thinking about those common pedagogical structures, professional learning. And so when it's AVID's implemented school-wide with Fidelity, it transforms that, you know, the instruction system, leadership and culture of the school, promoting college and career readiness for all students. That's excellent. And just just as a side note, I'm, I'm a former high school principal who who uh, had an avid program. We uh, reached out and found out a little bit about it and then instituted. And what we were trying to do is in a in a very high need school, 
um, very high mobility, trying to remove, we're trying to bring that down to where the kids weren't moving as much, as well as trying to get, it, it kind of had a violent culture, and we had to get the culture yeah. under control, and and that, that violence part, because it involved gangs and things like that, and we had to, we had a whole bunch of other things. And we were, in the meantime, we're trying to drive up and, and accelerate kids, and one of the things that we we found out is that uh, it was, Avid was an worked on skills that could help us get kids ready to try and pursue AP because that's I was trying to get non-traditional kids in the AP program. So can I talk a little bit about can we talk a little bit about that just uh, the the some of those skills and and connecting it there? And so the things that Avid really does is help students accelerate by providing scaffolding and support. So if you want to go from, let's say I was maybe underprepared and I didn't necessarily have the zoology that you might have had when you were in high school, but I want to, now I'm in ninth grade, people are talking to me about goals and I want this type of career and I want to maybe be a veterinarian and I know I need to have chemistry or biology, but I might not be fully prepared or I might have had, I might not be in the right track of math. So what AVID does is to provide scaffolding and support for those students a couple different ways. We help teach them academic processes so they're prepared to learn for all that's possible. And and we call those things wicker, right? We we focus on helping them learn how to write, inquire, collaborate, be organized, and read for critical reading. So we have strategies that we teach the students around wicker to really help them have academic processes so that they can be successful, even if they're, for example, reading above grade level, how can they unpack that text? And how can they identify points of confusion? We have models of tutorials by which we help students identify points of confusion and collaboratively solve problems or Socratic seminars where students are working together in collaboration. But that also requires students to have relationships with each other. So we work a lot on relational capacity, having students be in in a community and being able to work together and developing their agency. How can students think about having and exercising both their voice and their choice and taking an active role in their learning? And I think that's what's missing in the conversation right now is we're talking about learning loss and accelerating learning. No one's talking about how to get the kids ready to jump on this accelerated bus. No one is thinking about how are we preparing the students to be scaffolded to accelerate. We're not, we're not providing these academic processes to help students take ownership and, and identify their gaps and work to fill them collaboratively with others. So that's my concern about what I'm seeing happening out there in the country. And, uh, but hopefully, Again, we're going to be really thinking about how are we working with those students. And so the educators learn strategies and these pedagogical practices that then work with them and their their students. And if you're in a school-wide site, all the students would know these strategies. And you go from classroom to classroom. And when I say take notes, you know what that means. In, in Mrs. Cap's class, in Mr. Mileto's class, like it, you understand it. So you remove the cognitive load of trying to play the game of school and you get to focus on the content and the learning. You know, that's what I always loved about the AVID program. And I'm not getting paid to say this, by the way. So uh, <laughs> it was that it, you know, each, you had, the teachers you had connected with it and the, the pro, you know, because we actually had a pull out class. We had a class okay. and, mm-hmm. uh, as well as an avid club too, by the way. And, uh, you know, it was, and I don't know if you officially called it a club, but it was <laughs> yeah. another aspect of what we were doing. And 
and with a lot of kids who are uh, are struggling academically um, for whatever reason, they don't have those skills. They're they're usually a lot of times they're four and five. In my situation, they're four and five years behind in their academic in, in their uh, vocabulary development alone, and uh, and asking them to take notes. They're just going to copy what you're saying and not really know what they're doing if they're just going to um, comply mm-hmm. with what you're asking mm-hmm. them to do. And, uh, you know, it's those types of skills were so important. And one of the things that, uh, you know, part of the terminology that came out of working with Avid is this idea of accelerating growth instead of you know, a lot of people talk about remediation. Could you could you just kind of talk about the difference? Sure. So. Remediation is I'm going to go backwards and teach you, you know, things that you might have missed. And then acceleration, we're really thinking about how can we have bridging strategies so those students can go to that next level. And if they have gaps in their learning, how can we help fill those gaps? But we're not looking at going back and repeating, right? So in my mind, remediation is you're repeating to get caught up. Like I'm going to rerun that mile versus I'm going to try and go two miles and build on that. So it, to accelerate, you really do, though, have to have the support structures in place. You have to have, you know, your students have to know those skills. They have to be able to know how to reach out and identify problems. They need to have the agency to talk to their teachers if they're still struggling and figure out what supports they need. So it's a whole package of working together to get it. But when you have those scaffolds and supports, acceleration can happen and we know. We know we have many students in schools where there's AVID where the percentage in in AP and honors classes goes way up. And that's because those structures and supports are there for them to be successful. We don't just put them there and let them drown. Which would be just the most ridiculous thing ever. (laughs) And sometimes people do. They try to, you know, (laughs) increase numbers and let, you know, provide access without providing support, which is. Oh, I understand. I, I mean, because <laughs> I, I went to as a change agent, if you will, to I marketed myself that way at schools. And so the, the different high schools I went to had different issues that need to be solved. And and at the one that we're talking about with the AVID program, I mean, in all three of these, we were trying to build or sustain an AP program and make it uh more po- uh, more possible <laughs> nice steve make it possible for more kids to uh, to uh, have the that in their background so they could uh, possibly go on to four-year schools and and uh, uh two to four-year schools and then be successful there well one of the things that they have to have is the ability to uh, uh you know to think at these levels to uh, have this the supports behind them and to understand what that type of thinking involves and it's uh, and so it requires a lot of you know, in the beginning, there's a lot of frustration. I mean, there's a lot of that. And it's, uh, um, you know, I, that at that school I was talking about, we started off with 44 kids in a in AP with just un, in, in a school of just under 2000 kids. And um, and what we changed was to try and explain. We started off in the middle school and explaining what AP was all about. And we did the same thing in the high school and we brought in support programs like AVID. And and it was it was amazing what it did because having access to those people that helped them with understanding how to read at the levels, take the notes, do the different uh, skills required, just incredible. And so this long rambling thing here is meant to get to <laughs> another another point, which is just that uh, it's amazing what happened because with those 44 kids in the first year, we had a hundred and something in the, added a hundred and something into the AP program, uh, many of them getting ones, <laughs> twos. Um, mm-hmm. But with, with us trying to say, just you got to stick with it. 
and we'll we'll figure this out. And uh, actually, I used to say this is kind of like I tell parents the only one who can, after ten days the only way I can get them out of this is is me. And so I want you to be like Odysseus and. They're strapped to the the mast of the of the ship, and uh, he can hear the sirens, but you don't let him go, no matter what. <laughs> and uh, and Avid helped us be able to do that, and I just think it's cool. I'm I'm a huge fan um, because it did help develop. Because over years, eventually, we grew that AP program to over um, just under 800 kids. And, and those skills and resources have a lifelong impact. I mean, Avid's been around for 40 years. And when you talk to, we have alumni on our board and, and all different types of alumni who talk about how the skills that they learned to identify their problems, communicate, collaborate, all those things, writing, speaking, translate through to their careers. Uh, so it's it's not just success for school alone. It, it helps. Those skills, I think, believe have lifelong impact on students and as adults. That's awesome. I love it. You know, Lynn, one of the things I want to make sure we talk about, because I've actually heard you um, talk about this on a on another uh, on another show. And and I heard you talking about the idea of using technology as a tool to help address the learning gaps that exist there. Could you kind of go there for a little bit? Sure. So I have had a part of my long time career is using technology to help both educators and professional learning and think about how you use technology in schools. And one small little bright spot in the pandemic is uh, people realizing the power of using technology and these tools and some of the things that it allows us to do that we might not have been able to do in a traditional face-to-face classroom. And now we have to think about how we take those good things and bring them into instruction. Some of the things that technology can do is it can allow you to differentiate more. You can have more choice. You can do different things. Also, it allows you to hear from all students. There's many different tools available, like a Padlet or something, where you can have every student share their thoughts in ways that you just simply can't do when you're in person in a classroom. And you can be in person, but when you're asking people to raise their hands or say something. And you can get that live feedback and movement. There's just a lot of different opportunities. And so I think you can both hear from students, allow differentiation, allow um, choice, different types of things. And, and, you know, at Avid, we have a, a podcast called Tech Talk for Teachers that has more than 50 episodes where each episode has a tech connection and a tech toolkit, or from social emotional learning to all different types of things about what are some of those tools in the toolkit that teachers can use uh, to best meet their goals. So I think technology has a huge opportunity to help us uh, close those gaps. That's pretty cool. And it's, and it's, uh, I so agree, but it, just as a side note, it's just funny because it's, you think about how far it's progressed and the, the pandemic before it, you know, even just doing a Zoom talk like we're doing right now, um, many people would be going, what are you talking about? And I, I was at that time trying to teach people how to use, uh, Skype yeah. and how to use, uh, Google Hangouts, it was called then. And, and, uh, um, and now pretty much all educators, are, I think are fairly, whether they like it or not, they know how to use Zoom, you know, it's like, or any of the other fam in that family of communication things. And, and uh, just being one of the aspects that's happened as a result of this um, sure. separation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so good stuff. You know, I, I recently read a press release from June, 2021 that said this, Avid reveals summer's hottest topics for professional development in K through 12 education. Let's talk about these topics that were mentioned in the press release. One was, creating engaging and rigorous classrooms. Another was language building through culture and identity. And the last one was fostering an equitable and engaging culture in classrooms. Could you just talk about those just a little bit? Sure. So those 
So Abbott offers summer professional learning. And in the summer professional learning, we have a variety of different opportunities that people can choose from. And those were the three top topics. Again, the creating and engaging rigorous classrooms is really professional learning that helps educators think about this common challenge of how am I both engaging and holding rigor? Because sometimes you see the slip of for me to have engagement, I might pick resources, materials, or lessons that might be engaging, but might not be rigorous for my students. So how do you balance that? How do you balance that rigor where we're going to work at 11th grade, even though you might not be reading at 11th grade? And how do we make that uh, rigorous and engaging? Um, The language building through cultural identity is about academic language and literacy architects. So particularly thinking about those people who might be learning, students learning English language, Uh, How do you help them have resources to cultivate and maintain those uh, systems for them to become language architects and continue to do that? So it's language building routines, scaffolds, et cetera. So that's a huge topic because we have many uh, students in the U.S. who can benefit from better instruction in that area. And finally, the fostering equitable and engaging culture in classrooms is, is really thinking about how do I build that relationship? How do I get to know the students so that my it's equitable and it's engaging and my classroom culture is one with a high level of relational capacity? So those three were the top professional learning. And uh, we have a tool at AVID called at avidpl.org, which assists educators in thinking about what's their professional goals they want to do, how do they want their professional learning, and to look through and see if they can align their professional learning needs with uh, opportunities. You know, one of the, one of the things that uh, um, the professional development is so important because if you're going to work with kids and you're Mm -hmm. trying to accelerate them and they're non-traditional in the, in the setting in which you are trying to accelerate them and, and close those gaps, you're going to need support for the teachers (laughs) and, uh, and everything from, um, you know, getting ideas of what to do and how to run that classroom to uh, sometimes just, team member support. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any thoughts about how you kind of create that connection between people? Because I know one of the things we're going to get to here in just a second is that the importance of developing relationships with the kids. But I kind of think the teachers needed to connect with other teachers doing the same sort of thing. What do you think about that? That's huge. And that's a core component of our professional learning, and even of our, our implementation and how our uh, structure is set up. So we work with schools and districts, but we don't usually work with one teacher, right? We begin with a team of educators and a team where the site leader and different content teachers come together. And you need to have that system of support. It might start with a small team, then it might expand throughout the entire school. But definitely you need to have that collaboration and community. So in our professional learning design, we focus tremendously on building relational capacity between the participants modeling what we'd like to have happen in the classroom and work on ways to continue to support and engage that. And our regional staff who works with our schools and sites meet with district leadership and continue to think about how do they coach their sites to continue to stay engaged as site teams and educators throughout the year. So while you may have professional learning, how is that being sustained, coached, and uh, coaching for implementation throughout the year. So it's very important to have that ongoing community working together. That's excellent. And I, I just know that just as a support, the importance of that support network, I mean, because sometimes if nothing else, 
they're not only sharing ideas, but they're also sharing, uh, you know, kind of, it's like running a, a, a you know, a, the hundred yard dash or something yet, or, or my, you know, three mile long run. You got someone there going, you can do this. We yes. can do this. <laughs> how it worked for them. Well, that might not have worked, but try this. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Could, um, I think you were referring to it just a minute ago, but you, um, Avid has a program called digital XP. Can you talk about that? Sure. So Avid, you know, for, many, many, many years is, was famous for our summer institutes, which is a three-day in-person summer professional learning. And then in March of 2020, as we were, were had registration open for our 10 summer institutes, where more than 40,000 educators oftentimes attend, we had a little thing called COVID happen. And we knew that professional learning was critical for educators. And particularly, we knew looking ahead at what was happening, how could we support educators thinking about if they were using technology and how could they incorporate technology in their face-to-face -face and uh, regular instruction. So we did something kind of amazing, I think, in 83 days. We um, launched Avid Digital XP, which is a three-day online learning experience for educators, which has Next year, it'll have more than 30 communities of practice where educators can pick a particular community of practice, which could be academic language and literacy architects, for example, is one. And, and we have this three-day experience by which they have synchronous live time like this, where we're doing relational capacity, modeling all types of engagement strategies. And then we have semi-synchronous learning where our facilitators are there to help individuals who are doing some differentiated learning. We have site team time. And to inspire the community, we have whole community connections where we have student and educator speakers that I've watched, you know, watching them speak makes me cry, even though I watch it 11 times throughout the summer. The stories are so inspirational and motivational about these students. So we have all of that happen in the summer. Um, and in the future, we will still be offering both our virtual digital XP as well as our summer institutes. The content will be the same, but the delivery, whether you go in person or um, if it better meets your needs to attend online. So that's where we're heading. It was a real, and it also includes school year supports. So options for educators to learn more, to connect with the community of practice throughout the year to again, extend that learning. That's awesome. That's it's just it's amazing how you know when we need to we adjust, right? <laughs> and we do. It makes me think about you know we work in an LMS and a learning management system, and I've been doing online work since I hate to say it, two thousand and two, working in LMS systems, and many people are now like, oh, I now know what that means, even <laughs> though it's almost twenty twenty two. So it takes a little while. There can be a little lag. Yes, especially because some people will be going, I don't. I don't know that middle school. Where's that middle school? <laughs> yes. Wait a second. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, so, you know, we talked about relationships just a minute. One of the things I want to go back to is the idea of helping teachers understand how important it is to connect with the kids that they're, that they're working with, especially because many of these kids in the non-traditional uh, setting or, the, you know, their, their, their gap is, the learning gap is rather large. Uh, they may not trust the teacher to be able to help them. You know, yeah, yeah, right. You're here to help. Uh, um, lots of people say that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about helping teachers understand how you connect? I mean, you're talking to someone who's, who's worked with teachers on classroom management and trying to help them when they struggle, how to, how to uh, um, kind of fix things a little bit so it becomes better. And a lot of times where they struggle is that connection with the kids. Right. And, and uh, 
I, I always think about the quote from John C. Maxwell, that students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I found that to be very true in my experience. And I've worked in mentoring teach experienced teachers and new teachers. And I find that there's that fundamental shift between I'm teaching science to I'm teaching kids and you need to know me and I need to know you. And I think that as teachers, we often times can get so caught up in trying to meet the standards and be on the pacing guide and do these things. We forget that there are actual human beings out there who we're working with. And so I would think about, and I would talk to the teachers I was working with in high school and say, you have 150 kids on your roster. Can you tell me something about each kid that's personal? Like, can you tell me, do they play a sport? Do they do that? Do something about every single kid. And many times teachers can't. So we really need to think about if we want learning as a collaborative social engagement. And if we want students to learn from us and to learn from each other, we need to build community, both trust between the teacher and the student and trust between the students and each other. One of the other things we see happen all the time is I'm going to implement um, a group. We're going to do group structures and we have all these jobs, but the teachers might not spend the time at first to build that trust between those students so that they know who each other are or that community. They might not even know each other's names. Um, so there's a lot of things that need to go into setting that up. And once you do set that culture and community, what are ways that students can get to know each other? What are ways that you get to know them? How do you do trust building activities and team building activities that at first people might think is not a good use of instructional time, but the payoff in terms of the collaboration, the cooperation and that community and that learning, I think is a tremendous investment. So I believe you need to continue to build that. Think about, again, how do you get to know the students and how do the students know you uh, and who you are as a person? That then helps to build that relational capacity, which is really the foundation of, of everything, both with the students and, as we said before, with the educators. How are you doing that same thing with them? How do they know each other? How are you building trust among your colleagues? So if you do have a challenge, you'd be willing to talk about it and ask for and receive support. So it, it's very, very important. And there's, you know, lots of different strategies. And we do have a lot of work in terms of in, in the Avid elective class and others building that team building because that community needs to be strong. They need to have each other's backs and they need to feel safe saying when, when they have a challenge, which is very risky behavior, particularly if you, if you don't know anyone that's there. And I wish all educators did that, but I know they don't. I know, you know, my own son, he went to a very high achieving uh, high school, but he was a, um, a competitive skateboarder and we missed a lot of school to travel to compete. And in the first day of school, this junior year, he came back and I said, so how did it go? Did you talk to anyone? Not a single teacher in six classes did anything to get to know the kids didn't do anything in any of his classes to learn anything about him. And he's like, you know, no, no one, we didn't do a single. And I was like, wow, six classes, first day of school, nothing to build any relationship with the students. So it's, it's critically important in my opinion. Very much so. And I feel sorry for your son. Cause that's, that's, 
that's rough. I mean, that's that's yeah, it's crazy when uh, sometimes kids might have a better relationship with the you know the, the bus drivers probably calling yeah. them by their first name, <laughs> and not because they're in trouble. Hey, Steve, how you doing today? Uh, yeah. Wow, it took to the yeah. end of the day, and I. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's people don't. I mean, there's a lot of kids who go through the whole day who, you know, my son is quiet, and you know, he didn't want, so he he was fine just blending in. So. I totally understand that that was me in school. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to find my little place and uh, and I'm going to tell my friends, leave me alone because I don't I'm not going to get in trouble. So just I'm going to be yeah. just don't talk to me during class. And and that, yeah. that was a game I played because yeah. teachers leave you alone if uh, you don't cause them trouble. So interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. The message about connecting with the kids and figuring that out and. Um, you have to do it in your own way because it's <laughs> you can't fake it because <laughs> kids will. Yeah, it needs to be authentic. That yes. is for sure. But you need to figure out how to do it. Yes. Very much so. So, Lynn, can you talk a little bit about uh, what what happens as you know participating in AVID and the impact that it has on uh, you know academics and future and uh, and beyond uh, beyond K twelve you know the high school and uh, um, what comes next. Sure. So one of the key indicators that we look at for students, particularly those who participate in an Abbott elective class, is do they apply to, are they prepared to go to college? So do they take college preparation courses, even if they weren't necessarily on track in the beginning? So as you mentioned, AP or certain things. The other thing is, are they applying? But most importantly is if they go to college, do they persist and graduate? And that's where I think the data is very exciting because when you compare AVID students who are typically in the range of Pell Grant students, AVID students are four times more likely to graduate from college in six years than a Pell Grant subgroup that's their same peers. So they persist. It might take six years, but we have a tremendous amount of success because that foundation built on those academic skills, the collaboration, the cooperation community, they apply that in college. And so you see that apply to college. We're still interested in figuring out more about other careers and success in military and other fields, but we know that we have seen definite results of students applying and persisting through and beyond undergrad and many go on to graduate schools, doctors, lawyers, all different types of careers. So that's really exciting to see that, that outcome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that information. Lynn, this has been awesome talking today. We got, I got a couple more questions I want to ask you that are uh, just questions I like to ask my guests. But before we do that, uh, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? I would first send them to avid.org, which has lots of information. And we also have a new site that we launched in the pandemic uh, called Avid Open Access, which has tons of free resources, access to the podcast, so all kinds of things that we're putting out there to help teachers uh, and have better outcomes for students. So that would, and of course, people can find me on LinkedIn or email if they want to talk to me personally, but yes. Excellent. And I'll have uh, links to the, all that in the show notes so they can find it easily. And here are my last two questions. Number one, Lynn, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? And I mean, you know, you just got so much stuff, it's becoming overwhelming and you're just saying I'm done. Or at least part of your brain saying that. <laughs> As I described that uh, move towards digital XP, I was one of the two co-leads on that 83-day development. And it was pretty daunting. Uh, we worked nonstop. And, and, but I kept thinking about the students sitting in classrooms who hadn't yet had anyone build a relationship with them, hadn't yet been had the opportunity to develop an agency and hadn't been taught academic skills. And when I was tired, I was like, oh, 
I'm really tired, but I really thought about those students and the educators for every educator we were able to support and develop how many students' lives could be changed. And so when I was tired and when I was frustrated or had been working seven days in a row, um, I really would, would go back to the purpose and think about students, the students that I taught, the students that who would be benefiting from all those educators attending that professional learning. And then I was like, okay, I may be tired, but they need the support and they need the opportunities. So I just need to get over myself and, and do what I can to contribute to their lives. That's excellent. Love it. Love it. L- last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Well, I think the teacher that made the difference in my life was funny enough, actually my next door neighbor um, and my chemistry teacher, Mr. Soloff. And so he really uh, inspired me with fun. We had so much fun in a- in AP chemistry, believe it or not. I don't think I did too on the AP test because I don't know that I remember that I studied, but, um, but Mr. Soloff really inspired us and we just had a lot of fun and we did a lot of engaging activities and always was willing to have a good time and get to know us. So there was a great relationship, a great community uh, happening there. So yeah, Mr. Soloff, who I'm still friends with on Facebook, I guess. That's so cool. That is really neat. That's, uh, um, thank you so much for sharing. It's, it's cool when uh, people are able to share stories like that. I always wish I had reached out to mine who uh, was one of my favorites. So thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Lynn, this has been awesome talking with you today. Avid has an incredible focus. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and uh, and those thoughts from Avid about accelerating kids and supporting teachers and wishing you the best in all you do. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for having me. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcast by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.